So the thing that actually happened is because a lot of the Christians, and I'm doing air quotes here, that I knew didn't reflect the Jesus that I loved and wanted to serve. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. I recorded this session with Pastor John Schaefer of Bridge City Church in March of 2021, about a month before I moved to Orlando. His journey is amazing, and I'm blown away by God's power to change lives. Pastor John grew up in the hood of North Braddock, Pennsylvania, and went on a long and winding journey to find his calling, leading him back to his hometown, but this time with a passion to build up and not destroy. I'm calling this episode, The Road Isn't Over, not just because it was something that he said during the recording, but as a declaration. Three days after this conversation, he had a stroke and subsequent surgeries. He has since recovered, but I want this to be a declaration over his life that the road isn't over. We will be doing a follow-up conversation to talk about how Jesus met him along his way during recovery. Be on the lookout for that episode. I'll get to our conversation in just a moment, but as always, I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and you subscribe. Please rate and review Along the Way on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. All of my socials and contact links are in the show notes, and you can check out all of my episodes and join my email list on my website, alongtheway.media. I would love to hear from you. I also have a Patreon page if you want to help me to continue to put out these Along the Way episodes. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, simply go to patreon.com slash alongtheway and select a level. The link to become a supporter is also in my show notes. And now, here is my Along the Way conversation with Pastor John Schaefer. All right, Pastor John Schaefer, it's great to have you on Along the Way. Finally, we've been talking about this for quite a while. Um, you, you've been my pastor now for several months since you took over the North Braddock campus, and um, you're also doing stuff with uh, Cornerstone Television on the Move Your Mountain program. It's so fun to be able to work with you in a different capacity there and to get to know you that way, too, and to see you grow in that. But uh, the more we talk, the more um, the more I just know that God's connected us. And I am so excited to be able to share your story along the way in this podcast. And so thanks for being here. Fantastic. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Looking forward to talking and just have always appreciated our relationship together. And so looking forward to seeing uh, how this thing goes. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. <laughs> so I know bits and pieces of your story, but I don't think that I've had the opportunity to hear the whole thing from childhood to, you know, because you did not grow up as a pastor. You know, obviously that's 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 pretty apparent, um, but you had quite a unique road getting there. I know you um, you grew up in North Braddock and that God's brought you back here, which is so cool. And I love how God brings things back around uh, in our lives. And so I want to hear your story of how God has led you to where you are today. Absolutely. Well, as you said, I, I did not grow up. Um, as a pastor, and to be quite honest, um, I would grow. I grew up in what I would refer to now as as a nominally Christian home. I always tease and say uh, I was a drug baby. My mom drugged me to church, um, but the reality of it was we would go to church here and there. My mom knew the Lord Jesus. We celebrated Christmas and Easter, and we understood that God was real. We understood that Jesus was real, but really not a whole lot of aspects of my life would I attach and say, yes, we were we were Christian. And so I was born the oldest of three siblings. My mother never married my dad. Mm-hmm. My younger brother, who is the second of us three, different dad, mom never married him. Um, and then my sister, who is the youngest, my mother did marry him kind of like in the justice of the peace kind of a okay. deal. And so not only is it not really like Christian, but we're not also seeing really good, strong values. Um, my mom uh, was, uh, is, she's still with us, uh, is a great lady, um, first in her family to go to college. Um, so that was always a big part of growing up. But I'm um, just really not a lot of like strong 
grounding values, I'd say, were instilled in my life early on. So what values were instilled in your life? Because you're going to get values instilled in your life, mm-hmm. whether they're good or bad. What were some of those values that you did have? Well, one of, one of the values was that college was important. Um, and so my siblings and I, we grew up with the understanding that high school wasn't the end. Um, and when you contrast that with growing up with a lot of our friends who either didn't go to college or didn't even necessarily graduate high school, of, of my really close friends growing up, I can't think of one that actually walked for graduation. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I had like my inner circle of friends and I had like a, a smaller group of friends outside of that. But so uh, for us, that was a value. But even too with the the whole marriage idea. So I didn't grow up with marriage as a value that mm-hmm. as long as you loved each other. And, you know, one of the, I guess it's a fun fact that I share this with people when we do marriage counseling is that the first wedding I ever attended was my own. Um, <laughs> really? Yes. So the, like, like I, I may have gone to a couple of uh, wedding receptions, especially sure. if there was libations, uh-huh. if you yeah. were, yeah. Uh, if you will. Um, but yeah, so that wasn't a strong value, but caring for people was a value. My mm-hmm. mom did instill that. Uh, she worked in the mental health profession. And so that is something that I'm very thankful of because uh, even, even in our, our day to day, uh, two big areas where people have a lot of struggles uh, because of the stigma that's attached to them is mental health mm-hmm. um, and substance use. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I remember my mom helping us to understand uh, mental illness as she, she called it the invisible wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she would always say, you know, if somebody has cancer, you can see the effects of the chemo and you can sure. have sympathy or empathize with them and say, oh, how can I help you? Or somebody that that may be a quadriplegic or mm-hmm. someone that may have vision issues or something. But the person that struggles with the, the, the mental disease, um, not only can you not see it, but more often than not, it creates an atmosphere with that person where you're like, Ooh, please like stay away. You're you're crazy or you're a problem. And so that was something that she instilled in us was that we would not treat people that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and similarly, because everyone in my family, almost to a person either struggled with mental illness Mm -hmm. or struggled with substance use or both or one masking the other. Um, so that was something that was really ingrained in us, uh, was to, to treat people with respect. Um, and to, and to love people that might not be the most lovable. So I guess in that there was a Christian premise as well. What were some of the other worldviews that you kind of picked up on because you didn't grow up in, as you said, you were drugged to church and what were some of the worldview, the way that you looked at life, like kind of explain that and paint that picture. Yeah. I mean, just, just really didn't have a huge outlook. Vision wasn't a part of, uh, you know, having a vision for your life. Um, because I think my mom being the first college attender, let alone college graduate, that was like, I mean, she had already surpassed everybody in her family from a, an educational standpoint. Um, and so really not like, okay, well, what do you do after college? One big thing that was always a part was, so uh, my mother is a white woman from rural Pennsylvania and my father, as well as my younger brother's father and my youngest sister's father were all African-Americans. And so we were all biracial. So that really framed my worldview Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And especially given the climate of our culture right now, I used to resent it very much because unlike my brother or sister, I was the fairest skinned of them all, if you will. Um, And so I was always too white for the black kids and too black for the white kids. Mm. Um, And I've experienced racism from both sides. Um, of the spectrum. And I always resented that until I did become a Christian. I realized what a great gift that God has given to me to be able to have that perspective, but also to know how to traffic, if you will, in and out of both of those cultures and to be able to not only engage, but maybe reach and interact with Mm -hmm. uh, people who were not like me because it felt like growing up, no one was very like me Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, being biracial was different from, you know, a lot of different things at that time. Uh, So that was something that really, really stuck out to me. And I'm really thankful to have had that, even though at the time growing up, I was not a big fan of it. So you kind of thought that was a curse, but it's turned into a blessing. Yes. If you would ask me up until I was probably uh, 
20 some years old, 24, 25 years old. If you'd have asked me, I would have like, even on forms, you know, they have the race question. Yeah. I was like black. Um, because where I grew up uh, is predominantly African-American. I gravitated towards that lifestyle or culture mm-hmm. uh, more than I guess what you would typically refer to as kind of an Anglo. I don't know what would be the best way to put it, but, um, and even then it was, it was in Christ that I realized that like, I'm not black or white. I am biracial. And that's, that's my thing. Um, I always like to, to joke and say, you know, president Obama wasn't the first black president. He was the first biracial president, you know, it was was kind of one of those things, but, but being able to, to, to find that in Christ and be able to be like, man, this is a great, great gift. But yeah, it was, it was, it was weird for a while there. Sure. Sure. I I appreciate that your mom really instilled a value for college and again, and a value for further education. And I know you went to, you went to college. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about that? And what did you study? And I know football was a big part of that too. Yeah. So, So, well, my right out of high school, graduated from uh, Woodland Hills High School in 1995. And right out of high school, I was accepted to the Penn State McKeesport campus. Now I believe it's the Penn State Greater Allegheny campus, I think is the name of it. Uh, A little rebranding there. Yeah, a little rebranding. I I actually got accepted into the aerospace engineering program because here I am as a teenager running the streets, selling and doing drugs, messing around with guns and just different things like that. But I had a knack for mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they put me in AP classes in, in high school. Really? I was also in the gifted class in high school. And I, and I even resented those things at that time because, you know, the culture that I was growing up in, education was not valued. It's like, you're a nerd, you're a dork, you're this or that. But college wasn't an option. It was what you did. And so I liked mathematics. I liked engineering. I liked physics. So I jumped in there. But I'm still in that lifestyle. And yeah. so about a year and a half in, you know, in my, fir- in my freshman year, I was, I was shot in a, in a robbery attempt. So life was real crazy. And then my sophomore Somebody was trying to rob you. Yes. Yeah, someone was trying to rob me. Okay. Yep. And, um, I got shot. I ended up shooting one of them. Total crazy story there. And so I'm living in this, this lifestyle horribly depressed at the time, wanted to take my own life, saw no reason for living, honestly didn't think I'd live to see 21. Wow. Um, I always would say if, if I live to see the age of 21, it's because I'm safe in jail. Because if I was out on the streets, I'd be dead. Wow. Um, and so freshman year, I get shot. Sophomore year, I get busted uh, with felony drug charges. So I drop out of college and I move up to Somerset County where my mother was from. And that's where I just kind of went to lay low, ended up getting in more trouble there. Cause trouble doesn't, it's not limited to a location. No, like they, you know, some, some programs and different things, they say you need to change uh, people, places, and things. And the reality of it was, is that even when I changed people and places and things, the thing that really needed changed was me. Mm-hmm. I was the common denominator in all of these problems. Right. And even in my journey of trying to change me, I realized that I couldn't change myself. Only Jesus could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so him finding me uh, in a jail cell at the age of 21 mm-hmm. um, was a very, very uh, big deal for me because I was hopeless. Yeah. Um, and so you had a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy there with yeah. the, the only way I'd make it to 21 is if I'm safe in a jail cell. Absolutely. Wow. And it was, and I actually turned 21 during that time in jail and just prayed a very simple prayer. I just, I just was laying in my bunk during lights out and I'm staring at the wall. And I said, I said, God, if you're real, you have to do something because I can't come back to this place. Mm-hmm. And the Holy spirit entered my body, my life. I was, and I was born again, had no idea what was happening though. Yeah. No idea. Cause remember I have no real Christian framework. I have nothing outside of a nominal Christian belief system. And so I get out of jail, find out that my, my girlfriend at the time is pregnant with surprise, surprise right. With my eldest child, he's my oldest now. So I'm like, okay, now I got to work. I got to take care of this family. Did that for a little while. Uh, and how old are you at this point? I was 21 at this time. So this is like 1998. And I was I, I stopped using substances. Okay. And I, and I say that very specifically because I wouldn't say I was in recovery. Um, the Lord had a very funny way of setting me up. So where I was living out in rural Somerset County, the only job that I could get with felonies and other things on my record was actually working at a restaurant attached to a bar. 
It just so happened to be the bar that my parole officer drank in every night. (laughs) So there was no real opportunity for me to get back into suck, but I wasn't living for the Lord, right? I'm saved at this time, but I'm not living for the Lord. I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend. Um, now my son is being born. Um, I'm doing my best. I'm working two jobs to make ends meet, to take care of them. And then my second opportunity for college came along and this is where the football aspect of it comes in. I, um, I got accepted in 2000 to a, a junior college that had uh, been a trade school originally out in Lancaster and they had a junior college football team. And so I get accepted into the architecture program there. Uh, my first semester, I'm doing very, very well. I'm still sober. About October, my parole was up. Um. And I'm now on the football team. And, you know, I'm hanging out with the guys and doing all Thirsty Thursday and all of these things. And, and unlike some people who may be able to casually have a drink here or there, for me with addictive genes, mm-hmm. um, that's just not possible. And so a couple of just hanging out and being friendly and social, mm-hmm. I was back not only full-blown into my addiction, but probably worse off wow. than I had been before that. And I always say the only thing worse than a sinner in their sin is a saint in their sin, because now you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and God is actively wrecking your life to get you back on track. <laughs> he does um, that. Yeah. And it, it got wrecked. So by the grace of God, I graduated, got my associate's degree from there in 2002. Um, and then I just basically and, and hopefully this isn't too derogatory. This is my word describing me. I'm not saying but I became a bomb. I just couch surfed. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I lived with my brother. He was going to a college and I just kind of crashed on his couch for a while. And I'm full blown into my addiction and I'm, I'm drinking and getting high to blackout. I'm doing things and not remembering it. My life is just such a wreck. And um, I'm getting ready to go back to jail again in 2003. For a second time. For a third time. Oh, wow. And I began to start coming to grips with the fact that, you know what, I need to do something about this. And the way I always say it is this, because they always say, you burn your bridges. Well, the only fireproof bridge was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to church. Now, this is a church, small rural church, because I'm still migrating between Somerset and Pittsburgh and Indiana County and Cambria County. I'm just kind of getting in where I can fit in. And, um, I had got, tried to go to this church when I first got saved in jail and everyone there kind of knew me. Mm. They knew who I was and what I was about. So no one ever really engaged me or sure. reached out to me. I just kind of sat there. And, um, but I went back to this church again and the only thing that was different was there was a new pastor and, um, he just loved me. Mm. He invited me to his house for dinner. Now, this doesn't, I mean, I've, I've been a, a pastor in vocational ministry now for over a decade. I've done volunteer ministry for probably four or five years prior to that. And that doesn't seem like a big deal now, but that was a huge deal. Because I could still remember calling my brother, who's still not a follower of Jesus to this day. And I remember saying, man, the, the preacher's going to let me come to his house. Mm-hmm. And he let me around his wife and his kids. And... um. Like I got there and I'm like, I'm so nervous because I'm like, I'm going to screw this up. Because at that point in time, that was this, one of the self-fulfilling prophecies of my life. You're just going to screw this up. Like he like made me a steak. Like it was like a New York strip steak. I'm like, this is insane. And he, he just loved on me. And he, he would say crazy things. Like he would be like, man, there's a call of God on your life. I'm like, like a call of God. Like I don't even have a cell phone, man. Like, mm-hmm. what, like, like, cause I'm like, I don't even know the nomenclature and like the, 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 the Christian ease and all of these different things. And he just spoke life into me and he encouraged me uh, to go with him and some of the actual college age students. Cause I'm 27 now at this okay, point in time, yeah. uh, 26, 27. And he's, he's like, well, there's, you need to get trained for ministry. And so uh, we took a trip with a couple of the other college age students that had graduated out of youth group at the church I was a part of uh, to a place at that time uh, was called Valley Forge Christian College, but now it's a university. Mm-hmm. So it's the University of Valley Forge out in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And so I went out there and I know nothing of like, I'm still learning to be a Christian. Yeah. And, and, and if I could be totally honest, I wasn't a huge fan of Christians at this time. Okay. I still thought, I still thought, I was like, I was like, man, like hypocritical, judgmental, like lazy. Like I, like, I just, sure. and, and, and I mean, like, 
I don't mean that derogatorily, but that was just kind of my, my view. It's like, you guys talk a good game, but like, where are you at when this and, and yeah, all of this yeah. other stuff? And so I was like, I don't even know if I want to be like, I don't know what's going to go on. And he's like, man, you, we got to get you trained. And so I get accepted to, to university of Valley forge and, uh, in 2005. And so that was my third foray into college. <laughs> and, uh, I signed up for the urban, uh, missions ministry degree. I said, you know what? I'm paying for this. Okay. But I also want to be the sharpest tool that I can be for Jesus. So I went full bore into this thing. Okay. So before we, we talk about how you went full bore, you were just telling me that you didn't even know if you wanted to be a Christian. What changed right there? Because like, that's a big switch. That's like a 180 degree almost. At least you're on the same side at that point. But it's like you almost want nothing to do with Christians like Jesus. But now you want to be a Christian leading other Christians in urban ministry, and you want to be the best at it, what happened? So the thing that actually happened is because I, a lot of the Christians, and I'm doing air quotes here, that I knew didn't reflect the Jesus that I loved and wanted to serve. So it wasn't, so, it was more of a um, semantics, if you will, mm-hmm. that what I understood colloquially as Christian yeah. Didn't match up because because I'm now reading the Bible and like the Bible is coming alive to me. And I'm like reading things and, and I'm I get to the book of Judges. And I actually said this to my pastor. I was like, I was like, if you to preach this, I'd have came to church every day. <laughs> because the book of Judges made sense to the lifestyle that I had lived. Mm. Right? Be nicey nice and do goody good. When I could look and see, like, yeah, that person's here today, but I see them some other places too. Mm-hmm. And are they really loving their neighbor? Are they really right. laying down their life and living a sacrificial life? So, so for me, I wanted the whole, I will live in a shoebox. I will give my life unto death for Jesus. I'm going to spend my all. That was always from the jump as my pastor began to pour into my life. Wow. But being around quote unquote Christians was not what I wanted to, to really be a part of at sure. that time, because I was just like, what I see in a lot of this. And again, I'm being very judgmental myself mm-hmm. at this time. I'm being with a very limited exposure to actual Christians. I'm being very right. judgmental. Cause your main experience with it, with Christians at that point was in that same church with a different pastor where you were kind of ostracized and kind of put in a corner. Right. Like the one thing that changed at that church was, was the, the pastor. pastor and praise God, because I think a lot of those people, you know, looking back on that, the reason why they may have been the the way that they were at that time is because it might have just gotten stale to them. Mm-hmm. That maybe there had been a fire early on. Yeah. But I'm thankful because they got to see this guy who was a drug addict, drug dealer, convicted felon, violent person, life getting radically changed. And I think that helped re affirm their faith and mm-hmm. their desire to serve God again. Right. It was one of those weird deals where it's like, yeah, I wanted to give my life to serve Jesus. I just didn't know, you know, that I wanted to be a, a suit and tie kind of guy and mm-hmm. say the these and the thous and the arts and the works and all yeah. of those other things. I mean, my freshman year, they still had a dress code and men couldn't have hair longer down past their collar. And I'm like, well, what about the guy from the hood that has dreads and gets saved? Is he supposed to cut his dreads, even though the Bible doesn't say he has to cut his dreads? It kind but of goes he has against to cut- the Nazarite vow, Yeah, actually, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's like now he has to change his whole culture, uh, his whole cultural expression to fit what you feel is a Christian cultural mm. expression. Like you, you had to wear khakis. And I'm like, I don't even own khakis. So I wore Dickies, right? Like, because yeah. Dickies were a hood thing. That was like, I, I wear Dickies all day long. Um, but it was just one of those, one of those weird, weird deals, man. And I'm thankful that God has softened my heart because <laughs> I realized I was just as much of a Pharisee as anybody else yeah. in those days for sure. Yeah. So you're going to school, you're paying for it yourself, and you want to be the best. Tell me about that. Yeah. I just, I knew that I was living on borrowed time. The Bible calls it redeemed time. Mm -hmm. Because I should have been dead at 21. Should have been dead probably at 18. And none of my time belonged to me anymore. Mm -hmm. None of my possessions belonged to me anymore. My breath didn't belong to me anymore. And so I'm there spending the Lord's money and the Lord's time and the Lord's breath. And I was going to make the most of it. Uh, the, the, The scripture, you know, 
whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. That was ingrained in my heart. Um, And so I wanted to be the very, very best. And whether that meant being a C student or an A student, it was going to get my very, very best. Mm. Um, And by the grace of God, um, I graduated summa cum laude with a 398 GPA. Wow. Received the top award for the department, the missions department that I was in, and started numerous ministries, was a part of other numerous ministries, Mm -hmm. homeless ministry, nurse. It, It was funny because we could get... 300 students to try out for the worship bands, but we couldn't get six to go into downtown Philadelphia once a week to feed homeless people. Mm -hmm. So that was part of that, like Christian, like Christian servant of God kind of thing. Um, But again, I realized that's not everybody's calling because trust me, you don't want me trying out for the worship team. (laughs) That would be, the Bible says a joyful noise. I got noise covered. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I got this opportunity to to, to you really got joyful grow. covered too. Yeah, I got joyful. Yeah, I, got, I hope I got joyful. But but yeah, I got this opportunity to grow um, and and learn Christianity and meet people. And um, so it was an amazing time. And like the greatest person that I got to meet there was uh, my wife. Mm. So that was where I uh, found my beautiful bride, Christine. All right, we got we got to hear that story. Oh man, it's it's. She'll tell you a whole totally different one, but she just couldn't take her eyes off of me, man. Let me tell you, um, just every chance she got, she just tried to sneak a smooch. And I'm like, woman, I'm here to serve the Lord. Yeah, no, that's all 100% fabrication there. No, we, we met during orientation week. Uh, she was in the orientation group that a, a, a girl from my church was in. So I had relationship with her because we were from the same church. And so uh, that's how I met her. And um, because of my past and my background, I mean, I have a son who is six years old at this time, right? I, I got baby mama drama, if you will. Oh, okay. yeah. And like, I was a sinner. Mm-hmm. And so we very much, I don't want to say slow walked it, but I was very cognizant of, you know, there wasn't a lot of public displays of, of affection. There wasn't a lot of, you know, go into a private place on campus to make out or anything because that was safety for me and for her. Mm -hmm. And I was very thankful for her for, for being someone who was very modest um, and for being someone who was very much sold out for the Lord as well. Even though when we met, she was very quiet um, and very shy. There's a big chronological age difference between us, nine and a half years. Mm -hmm. Um, But her spiritual And emotional maturity exceeded that of some of the young ladies who were there that were closer to my age, um, 26 or 27. And that was very fascinating and attractive to me because I could tell very early on she had her her head screwed on very tight, (laughs) if you will. Um, And she just she wanted to serve God and she knew who she was. She she was there. She studied music education, so she has a a degree in music education or bachelor's in music education, but she knew that her calling was to be a mom and to marry a a man of God who served the Lord. And whether that was a a pastor or a missionary or whatever, she knew that going in. And so um, that was a wonderful thing for us to grow and come to know each other in that setting. Um, And then we got married our junior year. Um, the Lord kind of expedited the timeline on that. We were going to wait till we graduated. And the Lord spoke to me during a, a, a season of prayer and fasting. And I was taking her back to her dorm. And, and he said, he said, your ministry is incomplete because you're not one flesh. Wow. I asked her to marry me and we, we planned it all out. We didn't rush it per se, but, um, her family wasn't a fan of that because <laughs> they were like, you're going to get her pregnant. She's not going to graduate. She's going to have all this student debt, blah, 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 blah. And by the grace of God, none of that happened. And we were able to pay off all of our student debt you know, very Lord. quickly, uh, debt free. Yeah, that was that was the big takeaway from from college. I mean, I loved my degree. I loved my experience there, but I got my beautiful bride. <laughs> <laughs> so you you did go into urban ministry, though, too. Mm-hmm. And she came along with you. Yep. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that experience in urban ministry, because that's I mean, we're kind of in an urban church where we are right now, mm-hmm. but this isn't your first church since that. You've had other experiences working with other ministries and God has kind of 
led you in a, in a different path that way too. Yeah, I'd like to hear about that. Yeah, so we we graduated in May of 2009. Um, my wife also graduated summa cum laude, um, so that was pretty cool. And we would always compete. Like I had a higher GPA than her. That's for you, Christine. <laughs> but we graduated, and we knew during our junior year, shortly after, maybe four months after we were married, the Lord had showed me an open vision during prayer one time. And I don't have a lot of visions. Could you explain what an open vision is? Yeah, so the way I would describe it is there's dreams, which I would say happen when you're at sleep and your mind's at rest, and the Lord is, is speaking to you on a deeper spiritual level. Mm-hmm. Because your physical and mo- like all of you, those, those faculties are kind of quieted sure. at, at a rest. Um, but I was in my time of prayer and I'm, I'm praying and in my mind's eye, I am seeing myself looking through my own eyes. So I didn't see myself, but I'm in this, in this vision, I'm seeing myself in Braddock, Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up, mm-hmm. right? Braddock and North Braddock. And I know exactly where I am because I'm looking around and I can see buildings and places that I recognize. And so and you're physically still at, I'm physically sitting next to my bed in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And I immediately discerned from that, that God was calling us at some point in time mm-hmm. to do a work in Braddock. Hmm. Now I had no timeline or no time frame because here I am now, mind you, I'm still a little over a year from graduation. Sure. I'm only a couple of years in from actually serving Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, at this yeah, time, yeah. I'm newly married. Forget knowing how to do ministry. I'm still figuring out how to be a Christian. It feels like in a lot yeah. of different ways. And a and, husband. And a husband and, you know, all of these different things. But we knew that God was calling us back. And then as we were getting ready to graduate, we just knew that God was opening a door for us to come back to the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. And so we took a step of faith. We both had pretty decent jobs out there. We had an apartment that we loved. We had friends. We had a uh, wonderful inner city ministry in Allentown, Pennsylvania, um, that we were very much a part of and very much loved dearly. But God was transitioning us out to come back to Pittsburgh and a number of just crazy circumstances. But um, we ended up getting connected with an urban ministry in the north side of Pittsburgh called Pittsburgh City Outreach. That's the name. It was a church. Um, but they had an innovative approach to starting new churches. So they were a church plant. They were a new church themselves. Um, And they would have recovery homes that were attached to their church. So like they would have them for men and for women. So people with any kind of a life controlling issue, whether it was drug addiction, alcoholism, homelessness, prostitution, any, we would take them in. It was totally free and it was a nine month discipleship program. And so we would, you know, hopefully lead them to the Lord, um, but also disciple them and raise Mm -hmm. them up and watch the power of God break addictions off of their life. And so uh, God connected us with this ministry um, and uh, they were actually uh, in the process of wanting to plant a church in the Pittsburgh area. And one of those areas was Braddock. Hmm. And so I got connected with the pastor there and came on staff in August of 09, opened our recovery home in, in Braddock in January of 2010, and then launched our church in Braddock, the, our first church in September of 2010. Wow! And so that was amazing. It was wonderful. The denomination that we were a part of, we were, we were received the, the top urban church plant of the year award hmm. for the efforts there. But what that did was that really sparked a movement of church planting, really urban church planting out of this church because the the, the denomination, the fellowship that we were a part of um, really didn't reach the city well. Okay. Rural and suburbs, they were very good there, but but inner city, not very well. And so... You need a different strategy for that. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people, there's a lot of misconceptions with urban ministry to where one, I think people first and foremost fail to recognize that in a lot of ways, especially with uh, at that time, you know, a little over 10 years ago now, church planting and just church culture in general didn't really lend itself to the urban environment. Mm. There were a lot of factors and aspects that were not culturally assimilatable, if you will, into an urban culture. Okay. Like what? Um, so like one that was a big one, right? Tithing. Well, you know what? In the inner city, 10% of nothing, still nothing. Mm. But when you're living on a subsistence lifestyle, 
the tithe itself is even a sacrificial gift at times. The concept of, of family is radically different. Most inner cities have a fatherlessness rate of 70% or above. Mm -hmm. So you're having, uh, you know, you're engaging people that don't know what a father figure is like. So they don't understand things like authority and discipline in, in a good, you know, healthy biblical way. There's, there's a lot of cultural ills, if you will. Drug addiction is, is a, a lot more easily hidden in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. It's out in the open in the inner city. Sure. You're talking about a place, because my wife, who was not from the inner city, uh, I, I like to call where she grew up sub-rural, right? So if suburban is like outside of the city, she wasn't fully rural, but she was close. And so her moving into a ministry like this and seeing children out at 11, 12, 1 in the morning at night, that was shocking to her. For me, that was not abnormal. Yeah. Um, because not that it was good or agreeable, but that's just kind of the way it was. Children being maybe raised by a grandparent or an aunt, people living in homes where they, they, they didn't have heat mm -hmm. or electricity or running water. I mean, like that, those are real things. And so, you know, coming in and telling people Jesus loves them, that's great. Well, how's Jesus going to help me with the light bill? Um, so there was a number of those things. And so it made it very much like a mission field and sure. specific, like primarily from the, the financial aspect of it, you know, but the ministry that I was a part of ascribed to the philosophy that I had, that, it, that a ministry should, uh, you know, a church, you know, should have the goal of becoming not only self-sustaining, but reproducing. Mm -hmm. And so you're engaging people a lot of times who don't have financial resources. And so, you kind of have to raise money and do a lot of those different things. And it's a lot harder to get that thing right. self-sustaining in the, in the sense where like we can now pay a pastor full time and he doesn't have to be bivocational, which is great in the hood, if you will, because you know what, there's a lot of time that he's got to spend caring for people yeah, um, or she's got to spend caring for people or however it is. And so there was a lot of those elements that were involved in urban church planning. But another misconception that I think and we discovered this as well, is that in the last 10 to 15 years, we were seeing, um, so in, in the 1960s, there was a cultural phenomenon in our country, which is commonly referred to as white flight. Mm -hmm. This is when people that had the means and were upwardly mobile left the cities because the cities were becoming more dangerous and more different, you know, moral and social things were creeping in. And so if you had the ability to move out, you moved out. And that's when we see the suburbs actually become created as a cultural right. phenomenon in America. And typically those were individuals who were, you know, Anglo in descent. But now in the last 10 to 15 years, we've actually seen where people who are college educated, master's degrees, entrepreneurs, people with, with means, they're moving back into cities now because okay. cities is the hip, cool place. Sure, yeah. And so now you just can't have this, this urban ministry mindset that it's like, we're just there to reach the poor and the destitute and mm. the down and out, you know, because it's not just the down and outers in cities anymore. It's the up and comers as well. And so now you have to have an, an entirely new cultural philosophy to meeting it. And because these are individuals that are, that are usually college educated now, now you have to have a level of apologetics and an ability sure, to absolutely. culturally reason the gospel and the scriptures to people, because you know what, they're not just going to come in and, and, and feel the power of God hit them. They're going to start asking questions. They're going to challenge and they're going to push back yeah. on some of the things that you say. So there's two big misconceptions in urban ministry that like, yeah, it's just like pastor in a church somewhere else. No, it is not. Yeah. And I'd even say in a lot of places in America, the rural church has the same problems as well because people are spread further out. The, the, the resources are less in areas like that. And so you have that, and then you have this idea that it's like, oh, yeah, urban ministry is just, you know, people who are struggling with poverty or addiction or this or that. No, no, no. Businesses, you know, world movers, yeah. you know, are, are in cities now. Yeah, so whenever Paul says, I've become all things to all people so that some may may come to Christ, um, that takes on a new meaning when it comes to urban ministry. Yeah, and, and one of the... I think unspoken because it's an unconscious Christian mindset is that Paul says, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. But we have a missiological ideology in the current Christian context that says you have to become like me. Mm -hmm. And that's problematic 
because there are elements to the gospel that not only don't demand a cultural shift, it actually encourages you, uh, the redemption of the redeemable elements of your culture. So explain that a little bit. You used a lot of big words. There. Yeah. Break so, it down. So, so one thing that was, was really big, and I wasn't a part of the first wave of this, but I think it ties into it and it wasn't my genre, but there was a time when Christian rock yeah. was demonic. Oh yeah. Right. I grew up because of my cultural uh, bent, if you will. Uh, it, I'm, I'm a hip hop, I'm a child of the hip hop era, right? Rap. And so Christian rap was demonic. And I was able to be exposed to Christian rappers and, and, and urban ministers who illustrated that first and foremost, Satan can't create anything. No. no. And so he didn't create rock and roll. He didn't create hip hop. But there are elements to any aspect of culture, whether it's music or arts, but all of those elements are redeemable. There are aspects of those elements that are redeemable. And so could hip hop, not only should it not be shunned, but what can we borrow from this culture that's redeemable so that we can now take and apply the gospel in a culturally acceptable manner to this culture in a way that leads people to Jesus and disciples them and expands the kingdom into areas that it's just like, well, those are just the sinners. They're just doomed to their fate. No, 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 no. Could you imagine Jesus ever saying such a thing? And so finding out how we can culturally or colloquially integrate the gospel into these different cultures. Yeah. That's something that intrigues me. Yeah, absolutely. And the, we need to really understand the gospel and really understand the word of God in its, in its um, context and its true state and really go back to the cultural stuff mm-hmm. as well. And I kind of want to use that as a segue to talk about how we've really gotten to know each other more is, I mean, you, you, um, you know, we kind of skimming over part of your story where, <laughs> you know, that, that chapter of your life kind of came to a close and you started going to one of the, uh, one of the campuses of bridge city church. Mm-hmm. And then you were asked to actually be one of the teachers for this great hermeneutics and public <laughs> speaking class that we had last year in 2020 before coronavirus kind of screwed up everything, but basically for an entire month on uh, Saturday mornings, there was like 40 plus people from the church that were really interested in learning about hermeneutics and, um, you know, studying the word of God and it's, in it's true, it's truest form from cultural stuff. And you and pastor Gavin and pastor Rick were, were teaching this. And I love, absolutely love how much I could see you love the word of God and how that brings life to you. Can you tell me about how the word of God came to life for you? But then also like, let's talk about the hermeneutics and because you geek out about that and I absolutely oh, yeah. love it. I love it. And, and, and just kind of by way of uh, a, a disclaimer, I still to this day, am not a big reader. I never was. Uh, and even now when I read, if, if I'm reading something actively and fully engaged, it's most likely a commentary mm-hmm. or, or leadership stuff. Now I've, 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 I've liked it, but it's really the Bible. But whenever I first picked up the Bible and began to read it back in 2004, when I really got serious about following Jesus, it, it just came alive to me. And so I started at the beginning of the book because I thought that's what you did. Disclaimer might not be the best way to start reading the Bible if you haven't ever read it before. Um, but when you get to Judges, it gets really good. It gets yeah. really good. And so, so what I did was I, I read Genesis and I, and I have a notebook and I'm like, all these things that are jumping out to me and you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I said to myself, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread these things and then new things. And, like, and I'm like seeing my life in the scriptures. Like I'm seeing things that I'm like, like, wow, I didn't know this was in here. Um, and then so I, I read, read through the, the, you know, Genesis, I read through the first five books again. And then I started reading Joshua, Judges, Ruth, read through them again. And before I know it, I'm actually reading the Bible in its natural book divisions and not even knowing it. Mm. And I'm just... I'm just like, it's lighting up to me. Like, like one of my favorite stories of the Bible uh, is the story of the judge Ehud, right? The left-handed assassin. And like, I read that and I'm like, this is a mob hit. (laughs) 
He, he goes back to, to Eglon and he says, Eglon, I have a message to you from the Lord. And Eglon leans in and he grabs his hidden weapon that he was able to sneak in and he stabs him into the stomach. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like, I'm like they should make a movie about this. And, and so I, 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 I geeked out off of the word um, that way. And so it just came alive to me. Yeah. And really it's a supernatural thing because again, I'm not a big reader. Like other things don't, don't, don't do it for me like that. But I just, I just love it. And even more than that, learning to apply it mm-hmm. is really the huge thing for me. Cause like, you know, I look at something like the Christmas story and again, my background, you know, single mom, different things like that. I look at the Christmas story and I see the story of an unwed pregnant teenager and a father who has to decide whether he's going to stay and raise his son or not. I said, that's the story of the hood. Yeah. I said, that, 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 that is for the hood. That's for me. And, you know, just being able to see those and be able to apply it to people's life so that people can see themselves in God's story. Yeah. So that they can begin to start seeing God's story in them and they can come alive. And then Jesus can change what needs to be changed. And they can find a way to be an active and impactful member of their family and their community. And they can be used by God to expand his glorious kingdom on the earth. And and so for me, the Bible does that. It does that for me. And I want to help it do that for other people if I can. Yeah. And you definitely do. And I love how God used you to kind of light that fire in me again. And so many of the other people that were in that Saturday morning class, I mean, giving up a Saturday morning that, that takes commitment. I oh guess. yeah. And it was four hours. It was a long day. It was, it was four hours. And if I remember correctly, it was February. So it's the month before everything shut down. So yeah. if you wanted to have a Saturday back that you might've wanted to have that <laughs> something in February yeah. of 2020. Yeah. Right. But yeah, but like seeing that's, that's what a blessing it was for me is seeing people that wanted to go deeper into yeah. the scriptures. You know, I'd preach to a wall, Yeah, you know, but seeing people that are hungry and if I can benefit anybody in any way. Like that's, that's something that for me, it's like, it's not about who thinks I preach good or or it's like, look, this is, I, I've been given this. Mm -hmm. I just want to give it away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's changed my life. Maybe it can help you. Yeah. And so from that, you know, from that uh, classes in February, then we have the coronavirus and then Um, pastor Dan, who I've also done a podcast episode with, he feels God calling him to move to Tennessee. And now we need somebody else to, to be the pastor of the North Braddock campus. And for this guy that God spoke to, that you're supposed to be at in Braddock. And now God, God uses the pastors to tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, we need to meet with you. And, uh, (laughs) we've got an opportunity for you. What's going on? Cause it seems like God kind of is working in full circles again. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy because actually today, uh, was March 18th was my last day in person at the job that I was working at the time. I, I worked at a, at a methadone clinic. I was a recovery support specialist helping people in recovery clients who would come to our clinic, help them uh, connect with resources and recover. And, and it was really great because they would be like, we want you to help them to understand all of the different recovery pathways, whether it's AA or NA or this or that. But we encourage you to share your recovery pathway. And I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> so, so I had this great, great opportunity. And so everything gets shut down. And probably about a week after that, um, our lead pastor, Pastor Rick, came uh, to our house and um, you know, he asked if he asked my wife, Christine and I, if it would be okay if they stopped over. Now we're super nervous. Cause we're like, what did we do wrong? Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause we're currently attending our Murraysville campus at right. the time. We had literally just completed the membership process. Uh-huh. Um, so we had just become members and we were serving. My wife was in kids and I was on our, our first impressions team and just loving it. It was just nice to, yeah. to, to just do ministry and not like have to be like the pastor. And at that time, we had been out of pastoring um, for about six to eight months. Mm. I was bivocational for the last couple of months of pastoring. And so he came and they asked if we would pray about stepping into the North Braddock campus. Um, and that was interesting for a couple of reasons, because one, um, God had done such a work in my life 
that I actually no longer found my sense of purpose or value in being a pastor. Wow. Which was a big no-no, and it was a big deal for me. And God really had to wreck a lot of things in my life to get me there because my worth and value is found in being his son. Mm-hmm. Um, my worth and value is, be, is found in being a husband um, and being a father. And to be quite honest, ministry up until that point before we stepped out of pastoring, ministry was keeping me from doing those things in the way that I should. So I was just loving being a dad and being a husband and just serving the Lord and, mm-hmm. and you know, honoring, uh, you know, my pastor and, and, you know, just doing that deal. And we had had other opportunities uh, for ministry. Um, there was a number of people that had wanted to, to hire me when they found out that I was no longer. Sure. Um, but we just knew it wasn't the Lord. We just knew it wasn't the Lord's time. And this we knew was God. But we, I mean, we prayed, but we knew it was God. And, and Pastor Rick, you know, he said, you know, well, I'll, you know I'll, we'll revisit this in a week and see where you're at. And so we, we said, well, we're, we're going to, we'll step in. Didn't know what it was going to look like, but we knew it was God. And really that for my wife and I, that's all we've ever really needed. And so we started walking through this process. And so here we are a couple of weeks after lockdown, not knowing what church or life is going to look like right, now. Right. A lot of things are going on, navigating through that process. I'm still working from home for the methadone clinic. And so we kept walking through that. We began to start regathering um, late May, early June, and I came on staff at the end of June and then began to step into that role as Pastor Dan transitioned out of that role by uh, July. He, yeah. By the end of July, he was kind of out of that uh, campus pastor role. He was still in the area, but he was preparing to move on to right. the next um, season. Just love Pastor Dan and Amy so much. So thankful for them helping us with that transition. But now here we are pastoring a new church. And it was weird because a church that has been here for a long time, not just has been here for a long time, which in and of itself, like being connected with Pastor Rick and with Bridge City for as long as I had been like on as an outsider looking in, I'm like, man, if God would ever bless me to, 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 to for our church to become something like that. I would, I would be beyond blessed because there's just so much, so much that was admirable and, and, and worthy and God honoring about, about bridge city at that time. But also I had never pastored a church that I hadn't started myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so while you were pastoring other churches that you had started and that's, that's when you and pastor Rick, the, the lead pastor of, mm-hmm. of bridge city church, that's where you guys really started to get to know each other. So this wasn't like you just showed up at the Murraysville campus one day. There was already a relationship that had been established for a while. Yes, absolutely. And that was one of the things that I was so thankful for is because when everything did start falling apart um, and just, just, just coming undone, it felt like at the time um, in our previous ministry, I had pastor Rick had already been in my life as like Mm -hmm. a father figure and a mentor as well. And so he was the first person that I went to and he helped me to navigate through this before we ever heard the call from God to step out of our last pastorate, the, 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 yeah. the second church that we had planted. Um, but as soon as that call came, I knew exactly where we were going to go. Mm. Um, and so, um, yeah, that was, that was not like we just like kind of jumped in. And again, we had no intentions. Like we, we did not come to Bridge City looking for a position. We just came to Bridge City to be pastored and shepherded, mm. to be honest, and to grow in the Lord and see what the, the next step was. I mean, we were pretty sure that God wasn't done with us from a ministry perspective, but we also knew that God wasn't calling us to do full-time vocational ministry at that time. And so um, being with Pastor Rick and Natalie and just the entire Bridge City family, I mean, I had known you for several years mm-hmm. prior to that. But it was just such a blessing to yeah. be in that. But now here's this like weighty call, like we want you to, to to pastor. And I'm like, this is no small thing. Yeah. This is not a small thing. Not just Pastor Rick and the church, but the people who have been here for 30 plus years mm-hmm. yeah. faithfully serving God. Yeah. And I'm like, God, you got to have someone better for these people than me. <laughs> <laughs> right. You have to have someone yeah. uh, that's, that's, that's more worthy of this than me. It is no small thing for me to be a part mm-hmm. um, of the ministry team 
at Bridge City Church and especially at Bridge City North Braddock because yeah. this was the original place. Right. And this is where you grew up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I grew up in this church. I'm 36 years old and this has been my home church my entire life. Right. And I'm so grateful for that. But I've seen the different changes that have happened here. This used to be a church where people from the suburbs came into um, in a more inner city area. We would come in and worship together and then leave. And there wasn't much happening. There wasn't much of the local um, local population that was represented in the congregation. Now, if we fast forward to what it is right now, could you describe what Sunday morning kind of looks like? Wow, it's awesome. I mean, we have an amazing worship team and production team. Like one of the things that I've always admired about Bridge City is the dedication to excellence because this this is for the Lord. This is we're, we're not cutting corners or just doing it halfway. It's got to be the best. But when you look at the congregation and you can see someone who might be a business owner mm-hmm sitting next to someone who might've been in prison two years ago. That's awesome. Yeah. So many different nations are represented at our church as well. And so there are people that do come from maybe not North Braddock per se. I mean, North Braddock's not a very big borough, no, no. Um, but people that are within the vicinity, but there are also people from right down the road. And the goal is, is to do our very best to be a representation of Jesus in this place. Like uh, I believe it's Proverbs eleven eleven. It says, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. And I don't think that that just means the upright people speaking blessing over a place. I believe that that means the upright people who are in that place lifting the city mm-hmm. up. Um, and so we have a great opportunity and for as much challenges and just difficulties as our nation has faced in the last 12 to 14 months with uh, racial division uh-huh. and political schisms and coronavirus pandemics and economic things. I believe that this is the time for the capital C church, especially the church in America to rise up because I believe that the answer for all of those ills are found in Jesus. And let me tell you something for being a biracial person pastoring in the same place where he used to sell drugs and shoot guns and, and having that opportunity, man, like who gets to be that guy? Like, (laughs) like I get to be that guy. That's like so amazing. And so I'm super looking forward for what God has because it's, it has very little to do with me and, and everything to do with the faithfulness of the people. I get the privilege of serving here. Yeah. As the campus pastor, as the shepherd here, but man, just so many amazing people. Just so many people who are all willing to roll up their sleeves and dive in to see Jesus glorified and the kingdom advanced. Oh, what a blessing. Yeah. There's a, there's a bright future. And especially whenever you're, you're following after Jesus Mm. and the path that we've been on in life, you know, Jesus is walking with us. We, we know that like we can look back and we can see that the premise and the theme of this podcast is based around the Emmaus road and Mm -hmm. how the disciples were walking with Jesus, but had no clue that it was him that they were really talking to until they sit down at the table. Jesus blesses the food, breaks the bread, their eyes are open and then poof, he's gone. Yeah. And we have moments like that. And I love that they turn to each other and say, weren't our hearts burning within us along the way as he was revealing the scriptures to us. So I got to ask you, pastor John, Can you tell me about a moment where looking back now, you realize that Jesus was right there with you and your heart was burning, but you didn't realize it there, but you see it now. My entire life before I met Jesus. Growing up in a poor single parent household, two white for the black kids and two black for the white kids. Intelligent, but resenting my intelligence. Scared, lacking self-esteem and confidence because my father never instilled any of those things in me because he was never there. And resenting that for so long. But then coming to know Jesus and seeing how every one of those things was divinely woven to make me not just the man that I am, but to give me the gifts and the tools to be the minister that I'm called to be. Mm -hmm. 
that is a moment that I think back and I say, man, wasn't Jesus with me when the cops pulled me over and I had a trunk full of drugs and they let me go. They didn't search the car. Wasn't Jesus with me when the gun that a man tried to shoot me with in my face jammed? Wasn't Jesus with me through all of those things, scripting? Not This was not accidental. And he's even with me now, giving me the wisdom and revelation to understand that there is not one part of my past that can be resented because it was all orchestrated for this great future that he has for me. Oh, my heart burns even now. Wow. Thinking about that. Wow. But if I wouldn't have missed him then, would I really appreciate it as much now? Would I really want to be like Cleopas and his friend and jump up and go tell everybody, man, we were walking with Jesus, but we missed it. I don't think any of them told them that. I think they told them, man, Jesus was here. And I think those moments of, of divine restriction where we can't necessarily see him just increase the anticipation and excitement that comes when the Lord is revealed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, to answer your question in a very long way, every moment before knowing Jesus, I felt his heart burn. And even in moments during when I just felt like, I mean, three years ago was literally the worst time of my life, pre or post Jesus. Wow. Not knowing if, like losing not just my job, but the organization that I helped build from the ground up, mm. having things said about me, people that I invested in turn on me, not even knowing if I wanted to live, let alone serve Jesus. My wife and I were just talking the other night and saying, do you realize that three years ago we were worried about losing our house? But Jesus... And um, yeah, there may even be some more coming down the road because the, 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 the story's not written. The road's not over yet. Yeah. But I anticipate those moments now. Mm-hmm. And I encourage people. I'm blessed to encourage people who are in moments like that where they don't feel like they can see the Lord. They feel like they're walking away, let down uh, by God because something that they believed in didn't happen. But the thing that they believed in, the one that they believed in is walking right next to them. Mm-hmm. And being like, just give it some time. Yeah. He's going to show himself to you. Yes, he will. And he's faithful to do that. Amen. And, you know, my, my follow-up question for this is, with what you know now, if you could go back in time and intersect young Pastor John, pre-Pastor John, <laughs> <laughs> little, little uh, hooligan John, maybe, <laughs> um, and you could give yourself some advice. You could sit yourself down and give yourself some advice. What's going on in that situation and what would you tell yourself? Don't worry so much. It's not as hard as you think it is. And I think even as post-Pastor John, sitting here today, reminding myself and reminding others that God didn't need our help to get us here. He doesn't need our help to keep us going. And if we can just let go and let God, and I know that's so cliche and cheesy, but if we can just truly trust Him, and not let anxiety um, so overwhelm us. That's what I'd tell young. I'd be like, don't worry. God's got this. Mm-hmm. God's got you. Yeah. And I'd say it with a smile like I knew something that he didn't know because I do. Yeah. But that's what I'd say. Yeah. That's what I'd say. You know, as we're closing here, I'm going to ask you to pray in just a moment. But uh, there's people that are listening right now that they might be in their car. They might be cleaning up at the house and they're just listening wherever people are listening to podcasts, but they're at this, whatever, wherever physically they are listening to it, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, they could be anywhere. And, you know, you talked about yourself as you were in really bad places and you felt like there's, there was no worth. There was nothing, there was no purpose in life. Would you pray for somebody that is just feeling like, I don't feel like I fit in. I don't feel like I have any purpose in life. You know, somebody that would be like a, a younger version of you, would you pray for, pray for that person? Yes. Amen. Um, Father, I just come before you today thankful that you sent your son, Jesus, who became the living way through the veil 
which was his body torn, his flesh, so that we could enter the most holy of places, so that we can enter into the throne room to seek mercy um, and help in time of need. And so, Lord, I thank you for that opportunity right now. But, Lord, I use this opportunity to pray for those who might not know that, who might think somehow, some way, that there's no value or no worth, Lord God. I pray right now that they would be reminded that their life is worth nothing less than the life of the king of the universe because Jesus, you died for all of us. And so I pray that that reality would wash over their heart and mind right now, that Jesus died for me. But Lord, that they wouldn't just sit there and and ponder on that as a memorial of something great that you did, but their mind would shift from the death, the price that you paid for them, to the resurrection power that, that you rose from the grave because death is not the end. It's the beginning of a new life. And so, Lord, I pray for those right now who may even feel dead inside, or they may be looking at relationships or businesses or thoughts or feelings or different circumstances in their life and feeling like this thing is dead. It will never live again. I pray for resurrection power to enter them and to enter their situation, Lord God, and that they would celebrate knowing that you are the resurrection and the life. And Lord, I pray for that sweet power of your Holy Spirit to come upon them, to mark them with the seal of your grace and empower them to let a smile come across their face knowing that everything is okay because you're in control. God, I pray for them right now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much for that, Pastor John. I really just appreciate this conversation that we've been able to have today and to you know hear more of your story. And I appreciate you as a friend and as my pastor. And I want to thank you for allowing me to join you along your way. Amen. Thank you, John. Had such a great time, man. Love you, brother. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pastor John Schaefer. I find the foreshadowing in this interview very interesting. When Pastor John said, There may even be some more coming down the road because the, 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 the story's not written, the road's not over yet. But I anticipate those moments now. As I said in the introduction of this episode, three days after this interview, he suddenly had a stroke. I'm so glad that his road isn't over and there is more to come for his life and more people for him to affect for the kingdom of God. I'm looking forward to hearing more of his story and sharing with you how Jesus was walking with him through his stroke and recovery. Keep on the lookout for that follow-up episode. I'll be providing a link in the show notes to Bridge City Church so that you can find out more about the church and connect with Pastor John. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey. And may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way. Along the Way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find tons of spirit-filled content from their vast catalog of podcasts, including my Monday through Friday news stories for the Charisma News Podcast. Go to cpnshows.com to see the full list and latest episodes.